Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. Uh, summer update number two. Uh, we are very happy to be bringing this one out to you. Uh, my name is Jake Fenner. I just recently moved to New York. So this is going to be a shout out to the FC Bayern Munich office in New York. I came and visited them earlier in the week when I just moved in to the city. They welcomed me with open arms and with a scarf uh, from this upcoming tour. So that was a little fun gift that I got. And we may be collaborating on some fun projects later, so be sure to stay tuned for that. But for now, uh, I am joined by my comrade and my brother-in-arms, Chuck Smith. Chuck, how have you been this week? Good, Jake. I, I've been really good, but apparently not I'm not doing as well as you are. You're all fancy now in NYC, and here I am in the suburbs of Philadelphia, trapped in my basement while my nine-year-old has six friends over swimming in the pool. So uh, I think you're doing a little better than I am today. Well, uh, to each his own, Chuck. So we have some updates for the Women's World Cup. We will be going over that. We'll be taking a look at each individual group and see how our predictions turned out. And then after that... And a quick break, we will be looking at the updates for all of the most recent transfer rumors. So, Chuck, are you ready to get into the football? I am all ready to go. All right. So, starting off with the Women's World Cup in France. The group stages are done. The knockout round is set. It will start on Friday. So, we are going to go from bottom to top going from group F to group A. So starting off with group F, like I said, the predicted order for me was the US, Sweden, Thailand, Chile. Chuck's predicted order with the one time that he decided to not go straight chalk, he went USA, Sweden, Chile, Thailand, and Chuck won that one, got it perfectly right. So the USA finished with nine points, did not allow a single goal in the group stages. Sweden had six points with only three goals allowed and seven goals scored. Chile and Thailand played a very close game on the final match day with Thailand looking absolutely impossible to make it after being thrashed by the United States 13-0 in the very first group stage game for them. Chile had an opportunity to go ahead and knock out Nigeria from the knockout stage. However, with a penalty given to them in the last 10 minutes, it went over the crossbar and Chile was sent home. Chuck, what did you think of Group F's play? I think, you know, Jake, it went as expected. The United States, they were just a juggernaut uh, within the group. And even in the match against Sweden, who I really thought was going to, to provide the biggest challenge to the U.S., they just seemed to have the U.S.'s number. The U.S. women's team just was in control. They were aggressive, maybe not as precise as they would have liked, but nonetheless, they won the group in such an impressive, impressive fashion. You can't help but think that they are on a good course to repeat as the World Cup champions. 
So out of all of the phenomenal players for the U.S., you've had Kristen Press, Tobin Heath, Alex Morgan bringing in goals left and right, Rose Lavelle absolutely dominating the midfield, and Becky Sauerbrunn helping out Ali Nair in goal from the back line. Who do you think was the MVP for the U.S. women's national team through this group stage? It's interesting because it would, you would be really hard-pressed to say anyone with anyone but Alex Morgan, just based on her production. But some of the names that you brought up, especially Rose Lavelle, I thought was exceptional. Prior to her injury, Julie Ertz was great as well. She's a glue piece that really makes things go. Uh, the winger tandem of Megan Rapino and Tobin Heath, uh, they are a lot of fun to watch. But like I said, if I'm going to pick an MVP, it's probably Alex Morgan based on her production. But there were so many good candidates. They are sure a well-rounded group and a good group to watch. Moving on to Group E. My prediction was Netherlands, Canada, New Zealand, Cameroon. Chuck's was Canada, Netherlands, New Zealand, Cameroon. The group ended up being the Dutch, the Canadians, uh, Cameroon, and then New Zealand. So I was close, um, but uh, no cigar. That Cameroon-New Zealand game was on Fox Sports 1, but it was such a good game. That last group stage game for this one went down to the 95th minute. Cameroon needed to score at least one more goal in order to be secure in the knockout stages and in the 95th minute, the woman that scored the first goal to give Cameroon the lead just took her time, calmed it down, and ripped a curling shot in and sent the indomitable lionesses into the knockout stage. Meanwhile, on Main Fox, the Netherlands versus Canada, it was an absolutely dominant performance by the Dutch women who really cleaned up this group stage with a goal difference of four topping out the group. So Chuck, what did you see in the group this, uh, this year? I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head with the Netherlands Uh, of all the teams in the group. They were by far the most impressive. Uh, You know, I had pretty high expectations for Canada coming into this, but with the way the Netherlands was really able to assert itself in its, in its games, uh, with a big contribution from uh, former Bayern player Jill Roard. I think she's a former Bayern player. I think she moved over to Arsenal earlier this summer. Um, you know, they really, by far, I thought, were not just impressive, but really were able to control play and really establish themselves as one of the most dangerous teams in the tournament, I think. Not only Jill Roard, but... Another Bayern player, Lyneth Berenstain, was able to contribute that second goal for the Dutch in that game against Canada that saw them go top of the table. Now moving on to Group D, my prediction was England, Scotland, Japan, Argentina. Chuck's prediction was England, Japan, Scotland, Argentina. Scotland really kind of let us down, but we can go ahead and go on this tangent because if we're talking about the Women's World Cup, then it's impossible that we wouldn't be talking about this because I think it could be fair to say that Scotland should have probably been in that third place position had it not been for VAR and for the referees. Now, before I let you go ahead and offer your opinion, Chuck, I'm just going to say this. I am still pro-VAR 
after this competition, I think it's a little bit ridiculous that in the women's game, they haven't had any chance to practice using VAR to really tinker with the rules for it. This is their debut. This is their time to go ahead and really experiment. And it's just poor planning by Gianni Infantino to make the biggest stage in the women's game be the one where you go ahead on trial for VAR. And in addition to that, some of the rules are just absolutely ridiculous, and it's not just the fault of VAR. So, yeah, we can go ahead and rant and rave at VAR, but the thing that we should probably be ranting and raving at was the fact that they gave Argentina a second penalty because Scotland's goalkeeper had one foot off of her line, which is absolutely ridiculous. I think that if you tried that in a men's World Cup, you would possibly be shot because of how ridiculous of a call that would be. I think Scotland really got robbed there. They definitely would have made it into the knockout stages. Their goal difference would only have been minus one, and that would have been all that they needed to be able to qualify. They would have probably knocked out Cameroon from being able to advance. So, Chuck, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and offer your thoughts on VAR as a whole, not necessarily just for this game between Argentina and Scotland, but how you think it's being handled by the officials overall throughout this tournament. Well, Jake, it's it's like you said. I mean, to not really have it established prior to the tournament it was really a mistake. And I think we're at the point now with where technology's at and with so many leagues uh, globally having access to, to this technology, I think it's just time to make it mandatory. Uh, I know there are some opponents to VAR, but at the same time, I mean, it's just the evolution of the game. This is the way things are going. And I just think it needs to be implemented everywhere and be a standard. Uh, as far as the group goes, uh, you know, England, they, they you know, took control like we thought they would. But it was heartbreaking to watch Scotland, especially in that Argentina game, up 3-0. They looked like they were in complete control. They were confident. They were having fun. And then it just all fell apart. And it was really, it was, it was tough to watch, honestly. It was really sad. I really thought that Scotland had the ability to go ahead and make some moves in this tournament. I didn't think that they would be able to beat England, and I was right. But I really think if you gave, if that call wasn't made and you gave Scotland the opportunity that they would have done really well. So for a reference, Scotland would have been the third best third place team because Nigeria had a negative two goal difference. Nigeria, for reference, would be playing Germany, and that's who Scotland would have had going into the knockout stages. So moving on to Group C, uh, Chuck and I both agreed on how this order would run out. It would be Australia, Brazil, Italy, Jamaica. We were both wrong, but it wasn't for the reasons that you think. Italy, Australia, and Brazil all tied on points. Australia and Brazil, interestingly enough, also tied on goal difference. The only reason why Australia got into second place was because they had scored two more goals throughout the entirety of the group stages. Jamaica finishes with a negative 11 goal difference and zero points. Brazil 
interestingly enough, possibly a little bit sad to contemplate for us German soccer fans. Martha becomes the all-time leading World Cup goal scorer in her last group stage game of this tournament. Uh, she has scored 17 now, passing Miroslav Kloza for the most all-time. But still, Brazil does not play well enough in order to get first or second place. That would be taken by Italy and Australia. It was a really close and competitive group, Chuck. What did you think about their play? I, I think when we when we first talked about the tournament, we thought that Group C would, would be the most exciting group, and I think it lived up to that. Uh, Italy, Australia, and Brazil were, were all very evenly matched. I think Jamaica was just ended up a little bit over its head. Uh, but it was great to see that the Italian program doing so well. I know they were one of the countries that has just recently started to invest a little more money into the women's game and to develop players. And hopefully they can keep making progress there. Uh, but as far as the rest of the group that goes, I mean, we had Sam Kerr, who was excellent as always for Australia. And, and as you spoke about Brazil, I mean, those three teams, we all, I think, kind of thought they would be pretty evenly matched and this would be pretty chaotic. But uh, it's great to see Italy, you know, finish up top and Australia to, to clinch second place there. And I think, you know, three quality teams coming out of this. It should make for a fun next round. Absolutely. Those teams are very, very good. Overall, that Italian team really showed up, and I look forward to seeing how they do in the knockout stages. Moving on to Group B, Chuck's prediction was Germany, Spain, China, South Africa. My prediction was Germany, China, Spain, South Africa by one goal. Chuck was right. Um, Germany uh, finished the group on top of the table. Also joining the United States in the no goals allowed club. Nine points, six goals for uh, Spain finished second. China finished third. Both were tied on points. But China only scored one goal and allowed one goal. Spain scored three and allowed two, giving them a one-goal difference. And that was the difference enough to allow Spain to clinch second place in Group B. South Africa really had a rough time in this group. So you can go down a laundry list of Bayern Munich women's players that are on this German national team that really helped them stand out. Uh, funny enough, Germany wasn't really talked about much about their accomplishments, just generally from listening to comments about how the tournament has been panned out. We heard a lot about the United States. We heard a lot about France. We heard a lot about Marta and Australia's struggles and England's dominance. Never really much about Germany. Chuck, what did you think of their performance? I, it was businesslike, efficient. They did exactly what they needed to do to, to really come out of Group B with minimal damage aside of uh, Xenifer Morozan's toe. Uh, aside of that, Germany was just great, I thought. I don't feel like they were really challenged that much. Uh, Spain was was what we thought they would be. They were uh, an up-and-coming team, and I think they were able to prove themselves a little bit here. Uh, South Africa was just overmatched. Uh, it was a bad group for them to be in. They just weren't ready for that level of competition. So hats off to Germany with how they approached 
this group and how they finished. At least we get to see the Steel Roses in China move on to that knockout stage. Finally, the group with the host nation. Uh, my prediction for this was France, South Korea, Norway, Nigeria. Your prediction was France, Norway, Korea, Nigeria. Korea ended up... They, they could not live up to expectation. They did not get any points. Goal difference of minus seven. Nigeria was able to scrape their way into the knockout stages. Norway, the, uh, the one-time World Cup champions, were able to qualify with the host nation. France had all nine points. This French team is very very deadly and very good and when we look at the knockout stages there is one really potentially huge game down the road possibly between the French and the United States after looking at France's group stage games do you think that this French national team will be able to face that challenge in the uh, in the U.S. women head-on I, I do absolutely there's a lot of talent on that French side and, you know, I came away really impressed. Entering the tournament, we knew that they had a lot of depth. We knew that they were supremely talented. Uh, so for the potential matchup against the United States to come that early, if both should advance, uh, it's really intriguing. But honestly, when I, when I came out of this, uh, I came away more impressed with Norway, not because I thought they were better than France, but maybe my expectations were off. I mean, I knew they were a quality side, but I came away really impressed with how they approached the game, how they uh, were able to play and control possession and take chances, and how creative they were at times. So uh, I'm really looking forward to watching Norway as this, as the tournament progresses. But, uh, you know, Jake, like you said, France is really one of those teams that if the U.S. women's national team is going to have a, uh, a death match, it could be against France. So moving on to the knockout stages, starting with the first game tomorrow, uh, Germany versus Nigeria. For anybody that knows this podcast, you know that this is not going to be a hard prediction for either of us. Uh, I'm going to have Germany beat Nigeria uh, 2-0. What are you thinking? I'm thinking 3-0 Germany, easy win. Let me just stop this hemorrhaging right now. Are all of these going to be 3-0 predictions there? <laughs> there may be a 3-1 mix in there, Jake. Come on. I have to get back with my standard. Okay, I, I guess I guess this upcoming game may be that because it's Norway versus Australia. This is going to be a very, very close and contentious matchup. Australia has had their struggles, but Norway has never seen all completely dominant throughout theirs. I'm going to go with the grasshoppers. I think Australia really has had some problems that while they were able to overcome them in order to move on in the group stage. I still think that those issues are there. Sam Kerr has not been as dominant as you've seen in other tournaments. Uh, I'm going to give the edge to Norway. I'm going to say they win 2-1. What about you? I'm going 3-2 Norway in this game. It's kind of funny that we agree on this because I think coming into this tournament, we were both pretty high on Australia. But like I said, I've, been, I've come away pretty impressed by Norway. So 3-2 for me. 
Going on to the next day, the winner of Norway versus Australia will play the winner of England versus Cameroon. I think this one is going to be an easy cakewalk for England. Not to say that Cameroon will not stick in there, but England has just looked unbelievably dominant throughout their group stage performances. They've been firing on all cylinders. Uh, it may be a little too bold to have this high of a scoreline. I'm going to go 4-1 to one for England. Chuck, uh, what do you think for the three Lionesses or the indomitable Lionesses? Yeah, I, I would say 3-0 England in this game. Like you said, I don't really think this is going to be much of a contest. England's looked really good. Uh, they have good depth, great talent. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing them advance in this one. This may be one of the best round of 16 games. There are two that I've highlighted to be very interesting. This one may take the cake. France, Brazil. Very close game. Very tough game. The host nation, I think, really needs to win this game. And I think they have that capability. Brazil has shown brilliance they've shown high technical ability but i don't know if marta's luck is going to pay off in this one my prediction is going to be 2-1 france after extra time i think they'll finish tie 1-1 i think brazil will push france to the brink and i think just within the last five minutes of extra time Henri or somebody on that French front line will be able to break the tie. See, Jake, in this one, I, I definitely feel your France prediction, but I think this is going to be a uh, little more of a shootout in the beginning that France will eventually take over. I'm going to say France 4-2. I think Brazil is going to push France early and then get worn down by the superior depth and talent of the French side. The other match that I had highlighted as a very good one, Sweden versus Canada. Uh, they would play the winner of Germany-Nigeria. Canada has looked pretty good for the most part over time. Christine Sinclair is almost knocking on Abby Wambach's international goal-scoring record. Sweden has that potential to go ahead and push him out push her out of the way I'm going to say Sweden wins 2-0 because Canada did not really impress me in that game against the Netherlands and I don't think that they will be able to pick up the pieces and move on so I apologize to RLD and Marco Polo and all of our community members out there but I'm gonna go with Marcus's team Sweden on this one Oof, yeah that's uh it's gonna be tough for us to to face the Canadians after this because I also feel like Sweden is going to win and I think it's going to be a two-to-one game Sweden's grit and toughness is really something that has always impressed me about that team especially the core group of players there it's not to say the Canadians aren't tough because they certainly are but I think that Sweden is definitely the the team to pick here Moving on to the game that we've kind of all been waiting for. The United States versus Spain. 3-0 United States. It's going to be a bloodbath. It is going to be an absolute mismatch. I love the grit of that Spanish women's team. They are not going to be any match for the myriad of players that you have on the United States. If anybody out there is telling me that they that may not be the case. 
I have three words for you. Super sub Carly Lloyd. That's all you need to know. If you have Carly Lloyd, one of the best Americans of all time, the woman that scored a hat trick in the World Cup final in 2015, starting on the bench, you're not going to win. You're not going to get past the United States, especially in this knockout stage. Chuck, uh, how how much blood do you think is going to come out of Spain? I've got the U.S. winning this one 4-0. I think that the United States, it's, it's a very interesting matchup because Spain, like I've said over and over, is an up-and-coming team. But, but this is going to be that kind of baptism by fire for them. They're talented, they're young, they're pretty skilled, but they are no match for the United States at this point. Like you said about Carly Lloyd, she would easily be in any other team starting 11, yet she's on the bench for United States, so... Uh, I think the U.S. moves on pretty easily here. And that's to give a lot of credit to Spain after qualifying for their second World Cup. They just got their very first win this time. I really do. I think that Spain team is good. I just think that they got the rough end in this draw. Final four teams end up playing each other in the next round. Uh, Start off with Italy and China. Uh, I think it's going to be 3-1 win for the Azuri. Italy really seemed like they had some really bright moments. And while the Chinese will be giving them their best effort, I think that Italy is going to go ahead and move on in this one. Agree with that. I've got Italy 2-1. The Italian team definitely was impressive. China didn't really establish themselves in the group stage. So I I would say Italy moves on in this one. And finally, we have the Dutch and the Japanese, the two-time World Cup finalists, one-time winners. Uh, facing up against this really, really hot Dutch team. I think that the Dutch are going to move on in this one. Looking at the way that this is lined up, I may have a sneaky pick to have the Dutch go ahead and move to the semifinals if this run of luck gets good for them. I'm going to say 3-2 Holland. I'm going to go 2-1 Netherlands. I think that Japan knows just how to keep this game close. I think that their style of play will frustrate the Netherlands at times. But the Dutch, they're simply just better, and they will eventually wear down Japan. And I think that they score two, while Japan will only be able to muster that one single tally. So that's where we're at, Jake. I feel pretty good about my picks. Some of yours, eh, I don't know about, but I think that uh, you know we're in a good spot right now. It's going to be a great end to this tournament. Eh, a couple might be a little shaky, but uh, you know <laughs> what? You know what? I'm going to stick to them. If you don't bet big, you don't win big. So you can catch our review of the knockout phases later on, but. To go more towards the club side, we will tackle some transfer rumors after the break. We'll be right back after this message. And welcome back. Now we're going to go ahead and discuss a couple of transfer rumors. Starting off with Leroy Sané. Uh, That transfer saga is still going. The will he stay or will he go is still a mystery. Uh, Last we checked, he is still considering his options. And Leon Goretzka is leading the pro Bayern uh, front, as well as a couple of other German national team teammates 
Chuck, uh, do you have any other like updates or thoughts you've been paying more attention to this? So if you have any, go ahead. Now, the whole Sorne, Sane ordeal has, has kind of been interesting to follow, mostly because of the support that's come from the Bayern squad. Uh, you know, we've had Goretzka, we've had Kimmich, but now, you know, most recently we've had Robert Lewandowski talking about the situation. I think with Sane, it's always key to remember that this is all part of negotiations for him and his agent. Uh, wherever he goes, whether he goes to Bayern or whether he remains with Manchester City, his agent is tasked with getting his client the best deal. Right now, I still kind of feel like this is all one big negotiating ploy that Bayern is the club that that Sané and his agent could use for leverage against Manchester City. Uh, one of the interesting things to watch, though, is what City does in its recruitment of Benfica youngster Jao Felix, because if City is able to land Felix, if there is a move made there, then you know this would be very difficult for City to retain uh, both Sané and Felix. Now, Felix, for his part, has also been rumored and to be linked to Atletico Madrid. So there are a lot of pieces in motion here. Uh, I still think, you know, we are in wait and see mode and Sané made that pretty clear when he said he's going on holiday and he's not going to address anything until he gets back. So, uh, you know, from my standpoint, we've still got a little while to go in this. I wouldn't be shocked if this drags on for the majority of the summer. You mentioned Felix, and there's also the idea of Rodri going off to Manchester City. Do you think that the sale of Sané may be expedited by them in order to meet FFP regulations and to help balance their books with the sale or with the purchase of those two pretty big young players? You know, I, I really don't. I think internally at Manchester City, they're just looking at the wage structure for Sané. For him, it's about how much can he get paid? How much leverage can he maintain in Manchester City with the group of wings that they have currently on the roster? He is a player who needs to be in the lineup. And I think his way of making that happen, aside of performing on the field, is to get a raise and to have that financial pressure within the club. The flip side of that for Sané is that, you know, if Manchester City does not to com does not commit to him and they do not want to make him a quote-unquote surefire starter, then he does have that leverage to push for a Bayern move. But the the move for Rodri, I think won't affect anything at all. I think City is smart enough to have budgeted for that, and I think that any FFP uh, stipulations that come into play that they already have a plan for how to address. Moving on to another talented left winger. Uh, congratulations. Uh, you bullied me into getting <laughs> what you wanted. Uh, we will be talking about the one and only Timo Werner. So, uh, Werner is still in the negotiation process with Leipzig. Uh, last we heard, the most recent news about this whole saga was that Werner did not want to go 
and re-sign a new contract with Leipzig just yet, basically making his intentions clear that he wants to leave the club, and there hasn't really been a club that he's been linked with more than Bayern Munich. So, Chuck, do you think that it's just a matter of waiting for July 1st to come around, or do you think there may be something else at play into uh, Werner's decision? I think there's a lot at play right now. This is a fascinating situation because between Werner and Bayern, they have completely taken away all negotiating leverage from RB Leipzig. Bayern, for its part, has leaked out that it has turned its his, its focus over to Leroy Sané, meaning that they are under no pressure to make an offer to Werner to uh, bring him in, and they are willing to wait until next summer to get him into their camp. Werner, from his standpoint, has played right along with it and has refused to commit to Leipzig, won't discuss an extension, and has really, I mean, he really has emasculated RB Leipzig in a lot of ways. They have no leverage. They they can't do anything. And at this point, it seems like Werner's willing to sit there and wait them out. So there are two possible scenarios I see right now. Either Bayern has squeezed the life out of Leipzig and will get a great deal for Werner later this summer, or they are just going to wait until next year and they're going to get Werner for free. He obviously, it's been public knowledge, he wants to go to Bayern. That's where he wants to play. It's where he wants to spend his future. So at this point, Leipzig, I kind of feel bad for them because they really can't do anything here but sit and wait. And maybe, and maybe hope that Werner has a, a last-minute change of heart. But I can't see it happening. I can't see him extending with Leipzig. And I can't even see him maybe opting for Liverpool and its uh, you know, alleged offer to go to the Premier League. I think he's, he's set on going to Bayern. I think Bayern wants him. They're just playing low-key right now because they can. There's, they're under no pressure to do anything. For the the frugal Bayern front office, this is the best possible scenario. Emasculated is one way of putting that. But um, so I'm going to ask like a two part question and then we're going to go ahead and move on from Timo Werner so that the blood can stop coming out of our listeners ears. You sure? I could keep going if you want, Jake. I mean, we have we have all the time in the world. (laughs) I think I'm good. But uh, so here's a two parter. The first would be with the Bayern clearly needing wing help with the fact that Ribery is gone and the fact that Robin is gone and that they don't really have outside of Serge Gnabry who just got voted the player of the year for Bayern Munich. Coman hasn't always seemed like he was in form. Uh, do you think that Bayern can afford to wait until next summer to sign Werner? And second, in your mind, what do you think the good deal or a better deal for Werner would be if you were Yuli Honus and looking to utilize your position and Werner's lack of interest in re-signing, what do you think that number would look like? So, so to address the first part of the question, I think it's a legit concern given the injury history of Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry to think that they're going to make it through the entire season without not just one, but a series of injuries. Um, With the primary backup at this point being Alfonso Davies and I guess also 
uh, Thomas Muller. It's really a tough spot for Bayern. Uh, the good thing that Werner brings to the table is he could effectively contribute at four positions. Uh, aside of just backing up Lewandowski, he could also play on either wing and also provide some depth behind Thomas Muller at attacking midfield. So I think from that standpoint, it's pretty pertinent that Bayern either needs to bring in Werner this, Werner this summer or they need to find a veteran that they can get sort of cheap on almost a one or two year deal who is uh, someone who would be okay with sitting behind Coman and Gnabry until they suffer inevitable injuries. So don't say Gareth Bale. Don't say Gareth Bale. Don't say Gareth Bale. <laughs> I, I am actually not opposed to Gareth Bale. And I know that there's much hate coming at me when I say that, but I do think he would be uh, one of those players who, if they could, Byron could find a way to make that wage structure work. You know, he could come in and be one of those rotational players to help Byron bridge the gap between, you know, the 2019-2020 season and the future. So uh, from that standpoint, I wouldn't mind Bale, but there, there a, a move does need to be made. I don't think we can totally depend on Coman and Gnabry at this stage to stay healthy for the entirety of a season. Uh, the second part of the question is interesting because a lot of all this negotiating going on and and all of this posturing is about the price. Uh, When all of this started with Timo Werner, we saw the numbers 50 to 60 million euros floated around as what would be a fair price. Bayern, given some of the moves that they've made and some of the money that they've spent already, I don't think they're going to come close to bidding what I would consider a fair price for a player who's been as productive as Werner has. So what I think all of this is about when we talk about Werner not will, not being willing to renegotiate with Leipzig and Bayern saying they're taking a look at Sané rather than Werner at this point, it's all about getting that number down to a manageable 25 to 30 million euros. If Leipzig can swallow their pride and accept that they are not going to get double that for Werner at this point, then I think the deal gets done this summer. I just think that that's the way this will go. And if if Byron is really the evil empire that many you know make them out to be, you know maybe they're working behind the scenes with Werner and saying just wait one more year, you'll spend the rest of your career with us, but we need you to spend one more year in purgatory with Leipzig, and then you're ours. So, I mean, I, I think like we talked about earlier, it's there's one of two ways this shakes out. But in the end, Werner's going to be wearing red at the Allianz Arena. It's all just a matter of time for that to happen. Now, finally, there's just this, there's this, I guess we could call this a before we go, but it's not, it's not really. As, as you're aware, Bayern Munich sold Mats Hummels recently. Hummels was part of an aging defensive core at Bayern Munich, and it was clear that he struggled early on, but then he improved and despite his improvements, Bayern Munich decided to sell him this summer. It's not a move that I personally agree with, but then again, I'm not the board. If you looked at the rumors, after Hummels was sold, it was rumored that Bayern may not bring in a replacement. And then the consideration started coming around for poaching a different kind of replacement. And the number one name being tossed around was this young player for Stuttgart, 
Kback or Kaback or something along those lines. So it led me to ask this question. Does Bayern want to be one of the best teams in Germany or do they want to be one of the best teams in the world? Because if you ask me, I don't think Kback for Hummels is a good swap at all. I don't think that Kback is going to come close to the level that Mats Hummels will be. World Cup winner, Champions League finalist, won numerous accolades with Germany and Dortmund and Bayern versus this young kid from Turkey playing for Stuttgart. I don't think that it's a good idea to go ahead and bring in Kback. What Bayern needs is a very capable, world-class center-back. And you've got one potentially on the market in Matthias Delight. And you've even got rumors about numerous players from all different leagues around the world, including, just to throw one out there, Toby Alderweireld at Tottenham Hotspur. He's had rumors about him possibly leaving for what? I think this might be the third summer in a row. The point that I'm trying to make is, if you've got world-class center backs out on the market, and Bayern just sold one of its world-class center backs, why would you not even consider replacing him with somebody else? Possibly Bayern's biggest problem throughout the entire season was the back line. It was a massive problem early on in the season, and it's a reason why Bayern had to struggle up until the final day to win the league. So you go ahead and you sell the player that, let's face it, out of all of the three center backs, I like Sula, but Hummels was probably the best player out of the three center backs that were there. You go ahead and sell him. You're going to be bringing in two young Somewhat unproven yet World Cup winning defenders in Benjamin Pavard, who had a terrible season with VFB Stuttgart, and Lucas Hernandez, whose knee is basically the equivalent of a Yugo. So you're going to go ahead and look me in the face and you're going to tell me that Lucas Hernandez and Benjamin Pavard are going to be good replacements. Okay, okay, I buy that. Will they be good replacements now or will they be good replacements in five years? That's going to be my question. I think Matthias Delight would be a good replacement for the next decade. I think Elder Virold would really be a good bandage to paste over that Bayern Munich back line for the next at least three or four years. So the fact that Bayern Munich is looking to go ahead and replace one of the best center backs in German football right now with a young up-and-coming talent who isn't proven to fix a current problem. It would be one thing if Hummels was like 26 and Boateng was 26 and the Bayern board was saying, oh, we might need to bring in a couple of center backs for the future when these guys uh, retire or ask to leave. No, no, no. Boateng's 30. Hummels is 30. They did not perform well now. We need a good world-class defender now. And if we're looking at options to do better a couple of years down the line, then I wouldn't be surprised if this may be the first year where we end up losing the Bundesliga. I wouldn't be surprised if we got knocked out in the round of 16 of the Champions League again because Bayern has not been making decisions with their transfer budget that sound like they make sense for a team that is one of the best 
in the world. They sound like they just want to poach all of the best talent in Germany to go out and attack the world. Now, I'm not saying that that hasn't worked for us before, but it's not working now. We need to get this solution underway now. And I'm just confused as to why the board isn't taking replacing Hummels and replacing Boateng incredibly seriously by bringing in prospects for the future instead of helping the team currently with the defense being their biggest problem. I I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just me, Chuck. What do you uh what do you think? Well, well for me, Jake, it, it really comes down to two things, timing and commitment. And I think you could really take a close look at the timing of when Bayern decided to make Benjamin Pavard and Lucas Hernandez their big signings. Uh, did they jump the gun? In my estimation, probably. I would have pre- preferred to see them take a strong run at Matthias Delic and and try and get him in-house first. And it's not a knock against the talent of Pavard or Hernandez. They are extremely talented players. Maybe last year did not go as planned for either player. Uh, for Pavard, inconsistency uh, really plagued him. For Hernandez, he obviously had some medical issues that affected his play. Uh, but to me, I would have preferred to see Bayern make a hard run at Delict, And if they failed there, then okay, then maybe you go for Pevard or Hernandez. But to bring in both, what they effectively did was choke the life out of both Mats Hummels and Jerome Boateng when it comes to the 2019-2020 season. We don't know, Jake, what kind of discussions were had, what the club told Hummels, But one thing really became evident. If he wanted to leave, there was probably no guarantee that he was going to walk into this season as the starter. And I don't think he wanted to risk one of the final key prime years of his career being a backup to two players who were probably going to get the benefit of the doubt because Byron had just spent money on them. I think that's the biggest key to this. Byron made that commitment to those two players and in doing so, really did isolate not just Hummels, but probably Boateng as well. I can't imagine that there's any way that Boateng is going to hang around for another year to be the third wheel in a two-center-back formation. So from my standpoint, I think Bayern has went all in. They have pushed all of their chips in that Nicholas Sula is going to be their foundational center-back, that Lucas Hernandez and Benjamin Pavard are going to work in some sort of rotation and also provide coverage on the outside uh, for David Alaba and Joshua Kimmich. But for me, it all goes back to Delict. If they would have just made a serious and substantial offer, maybe last fall, when I think everyone in the world could see that this player was going to be the type of talent that you could count on for 15 years... I think that was the move they needed to make. If they were going to overspend, if they were going to make a big play, throwing the 80 million euros or whatever they spent on Lucas Hernandez, I would have much preferred to see that go over to Ajax and and see Delict wearing red this summer at the Allianz Arena. And I just don't think that at this stage, you know, we know enough about how Hernandez is going to bounce back and how Pavard is going to adapt to this new environment to really feel overly confident about how the, the back line is going to play. Now, luckily, 
they do have Alaba and they do have Kimmich on the outside. And those those two, not only are they proven veterans, they're extremely great talents. They're team leaders. And Sula, for his part, I think really did prove that he's got the talent and the skill and, and the pace to be a premier center back. He just needs the experience. So it's a tough situation. I don't fault Hummels for making that request to leave. Uh, given the situation, I'm not sure I wouldn't have done the same thing. But it's it's a tough spot for fans, and I know the big clamor is to to bring in a replacement, and you know to bring in another center back from Stuttgart and Kabak. Uh, I'm not sure that that's really the the best strategy to bring in two center backs from a team that just got relegated. So I'm interested to see how it plays out. I don't think that Bayern is going to splurge on another center back. If anything, we may see a a veteran come in and just be a depth player. But more than likely, Javi Martinez is going to get some run as the fourth center back oh, in the God. rotation this season. <laughs> like, I loved Javi this year, but uh, I don't <laughs> think this year is going to be what he does every year. Love Javi, but... Uh... I don't know. And I also, for one, don't blame Hummels for making that decision either. And if this thing turns out to be an absolute dumpster fire, then maybe he made the right decision. But all of that being said, that's going to be all for this episode. Be sure to stay tuned. We are still working on those Bundesliga recap shows. We will try to get those out to you as soon as possible. Uh, I think July... Uh, the first week of July might be a good uh, target date for those to come out. So look for those around then. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks. You can follow me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. Chuck, where can they find you? You can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. And please uh, feel free to, to send us some feedback either by Twitter or on the site. We love to hear from you guys, especially in the comments uh, with the post that contains you know, the, uh, the link to this podcast. So, you know, give us some good feedback. Let's have a good discussion about it. And you can, uh, you know, certainly send all your insults and make fun of me for any of my opinions at any mm-hmm. time there. Absolutely. And for all of your high quality transfer rumors and German soccer content and Bayern Munich content, be sure to visit our website, BavarianFootballWorks.com. So for all of us at the podcasting division, thank you very much for listening. Be sure to follow us, rate us, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else that you can get your quality audio content. And until the next episode that we cover the Women's World Cup quarterfinals, until then, Alvita Zane.